0: like an organ like a part of the body which is planet earth because for one thing they are very influential on a global climate uh, level in keeping the balance between humidity rising from the tropics and diverting to the temperate regions and in the tropics itself the rainforests are the most important catchment devices for water So without those forests up on the hills, we will be seeing more floods as we have been seeing in Asia and in Colombia recently and in other places too. And another reason for concern, of course, is the loss of biodiversity. If we lose the rainforest, we're losing species. And we're definitely losing species by the minute right now. Some people guess uh, about a thousand species can go per day. But also you're investing in your grandchildren and their quality of life because the forest goes along with your quality of life for climatic reasons as we have seen but also because people just like to be able to go out and enjoy nature and uh, if nature is gone and the diversity is decreased and impovered then the quality of life will be impoverished too.
2: Forests contain more than half of all the species of plants and animals on this earth, yet they cover only 6% of the land. They produce much of the oxygen on which our lives depend, and they can reduce the effects of global warming by taking in carbon dioxide. They have been here for the last 350 million years, yet over the last century we have cut down and eliminated two-thirds of the forests of tropical Asia and Africa. The world will be unimaginably poorer if we succeed in destroying them all.
0: Yes. Where? Well, well, Where is? Oh,
2: Walter, Walter. Yes. all am on the Is it time to eat in the morning? Is it? Right. But but they say for breakfast. We'll be down in a minute. Okay. Okay. Yes. Well, it's, well. it's, it. hey. okay. It's five o'clock in the morning, and it's getting bright. This is day one, the start of our visit to the rainforest. Look, 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 it's absolutely magnificent. Look, and this is only the lodge. This is only the lodge at the edge of the rainforest. Look, look at the garden.
3: It's magnificent, not it? We didn't see
2: this at all last night when we arrived in the dark. No,
3: it was entirely pitch dark last night, wasn't it?
2: the sound. Oh, I can't wait to get to the rainforest. This is only the hotel, the lodge grounds. This is only outside the rainforest. What will it be like inside? Come on, let's hear it. <laughs> Our lodge was on the very edge of the rainforest, just a 15-minute drive to La Selva Biological Reserve, where we were to meet Eric, our guide for the next four days.
3: My name is Eric Castro. I've been working at La Selva biological station for four years and I'm from Puerto Viejo. I've been living here all my life.
2: La Selva itself is 1,500 hectares of undisturbed rainforest. There has been a research station here for the last 30 years where university graduates from all over the world come to study and understand the forest. Projects on every aspect of the rainforest from the canopy to the leaf litter are carried out. It's here too that the National Geographic, the BBC and now RTE come to show the wonders of the natural
4: world. The
2: research station buildings are separated from the rainforest by a wide river which we had to cross via a high suspension footbridge. This wooden bridge, swayed alarmingly, hundreds of metres above the swollen brown river, but it gave us a vantage point from which to view the
3: forest. This is the Puerto Viejo River. It joins the Sarapiqui River about a kilometer down here, downstream from this point, and the reserve is in the middle of those two big rivers.
2: So the two rivers have boundaries of the reserve. That is correct. So this is natural geographic boundary, and then it makes it easier to have a reserve in an area like that.
3: Yes, when they decided to enlarge the reserve, because originally this reserve was smaller than it is now, uh, they decided to have it in the middle of those two big rivers, because that way the reserve would be better protected. That way uh, people will have a hard time trying to get into the reserve because the water level is high and there's no bridges. This is the only one. This is the only
2: bridge. I'm looking at the water level. It looks very high to me. Is this high at the moment?
3: Uh, not very. It gets much higher. Really? Yes, it does. See, right now, it's there's, what, like 10 metres? Um... You tell me. It looks very muddy. I don't know how you can tell how deep it is. Well, it's about 2 metres deep right now, but I mean, there's about 10 metres from here of to this water. There. And, um... And the water level has been three metres below the bridge. So seven more metres of water. Just imagine that. All of this area completely covered by water. That is amazing. And what time of the year does this happen at? In February, which is supposed to be the middle of the dry season here.
2: (laughs) Now, if I were to leap off the bridge into the river, what would eat me down there?
3: Probably crocodiles and caimans. Are there crocodiles and caimans? There though? are crocodiles and caimans. Crocodiles are not very common, but once in a while we see a small crocodile here. Caimans are much more common, but caimans are harmless.
2: They're smaller crocodiles. They're smaller. I don't think I'll be jumping in just yet. <laughs> the edge of the forest consisted of high trees with an evergreen canopy forming a green wall. But underneath this, I could see into the forest, where it was quite dark, and amazingly open, Not at all like the jungle ads you see on television for deodorant. And from here, it didn't seem to be raining. But when I got inside, oh boy. I can hear lots of rain, but I can't actually feel any drops falling down on top of me. Is it raining, Eric?
3: No, it isn't. Right now, it's just dripping from last night.
2: Yeah, it really rained last night. I could hear it before I came this morning on the roof of the bedroom, lashing down. So all that rain is up in the canopy and it's dripping slowly down now.
3: And that's what is keeping the humidity right now. It is
2: very humid. I am absolutely sweating. My clothes are stuck to me. My face is all shiny. The flies are skidding off my nose. It's so hot.
3: And it's going to get hotter later today.
2: And rainy like it was last night, lashing down.
3: It will probably be that way later today.
2: I can't wait. <laughs> The rainforest was a whole new world. There were lots of different types of tall trees, colourful orchids, thick, dense shrubs, ferns and mosses everywhere. Although I'm a botanist and familiar with Irish forests, I was struck by the fact that I could not recognise or put a name on a single species. Not a tree, not a flower, not even a blade of grass. Mind you, there are over 320 species of tree here, we'd be hard-pressed to find 20 in an Irish forest. What on earth is this? It looks like a whole collection of sticks, like someone's going to light a fire.
3: I these the roots of that tree? Those are the roots of that tree. That's what we call a walking palm. And a wa- walking
2: palm?
3: Walking palm, because it was studied in South America, and they found out that the palm is, is able to walk to move from one place to another as it grows up to find more light. So it pulls up its roots and it walks over there and it puts them down
2: again. (laughs) Come on!
3: No, not that way. But um, they start off with only two roots and then they grow more and more roots that uh, come out of the trunk and go into the ground.
2: I can see that like props. So presumably they only grow the roots on the side where there is food or light or where they want to go.
3: That is correct.
2: So the tree actually doesn't move as such, but it its center moves because the it's roots center are on moves, one side. that's yeah. right. And do the roots that are on the bad side They die. die.
3: They die, do they they die off as well as the roots that are in the center.
2: How far might it move in its lifetime?
3: This project uh, studied one that moved something like a meter.
2: An meter? Yeah. How long would it live, say?
3: They can live a long time, eighty to hundred years. Well, I suppose being able to move around helps. <laughs> it does help. And see the fruit up there? That fruit is a good source of food for a lot of different species of animals. Among, uh, Some of them are uh, monkeys and birds. They both feed on those palms. You hear that noise in the background? It's a nightingale wren. Wrens have a lot of different calls, so sometimes it's very difficult to identify the species because they all sound very similar, and they have very large repertories.
2: And like wrens in Ireland, they are small and brown, they have not much color, so they need to make a lot of noise to attract their kind. Is that what it is?
3: It's the same principle here.
2: What's that knocking
3: noise? The knocking noise is the territorial drumming of a large, very nice, colorful woodpecker called a pale billed woodpecker. That's a male telling other males that this is its territory, so they should stay away.
2: The birds have bright colourful feathers, royal blue, violet, emerald green, orange, and indeed their names are as colourful as their plumage. The resplendent quetzal, the long tailed mannequin, and the black faced solitaire. Certainly, when it comes to dressing up and advertising your wares, you cannot beat the birds of the rainforests. well it's not just birds there's a whole variety of amphibians and insects here just as colorful oh lovely look at the travel oh, yeah. I'm going to know I am going to get a picture of that yeah they always hide behind what you think yeah. You know, get it into focus and of course it's far too
3: bad. Get him again. he's a poison arrow frog is he? that's a poison arrow frog why are they that's called
2: correct. poison arrow frogs?
3: they're called poison arrow frogs because they belong to a family of frogs that contain a lot of uh, toxic compounds on their on their skin and there's this one species of frog in that family found in Colombia that the Choco Indians use to strike the venom and then they use the, that venom to uh, put in the tip of their arrows, arrows that later they use for hunting, and they go for monkeys and birds. Um, when the arrow breaks the skin of a monkey, let's say, then that venom paralyzes the, the animal. And it falls
2: down, and, and they it can falls eat down. It. And but why? Eat. Why do the frogs have it? What do the frogs use the poison for? it's uh, protection from being eaten. That's correct. But this one is bright red, and he looks as if he's wearing a pair of dark blue tights on his legs. <laughs> so he looks very exotic altogether. And this, I suppose, is warning colour: do not eat me; I am poisonous.
3: That's correct.
2: But look at this here on the ground. It's like the set of a bug's life. This is a film where all the ants are walking along carrying things and there's a whole colony of ants walking across the path here carrying big green leaves. And the leaves are about 40 times the size of the ant. I presume these are leaf-cutting ants, are they?
3: That's correct. And where are they going with the leaves? They're taking those leaves into the nest. And do they eat the leaves? No, they don't eat the leaves. Actually, they take the leaves into the nest, clean them very well. And then they cut them in smaller pieces. Uh, once the pieces are small enough so they can chew, and they chew them, they, chew them they, they add saliva and feces, and they make a spongy stuff with all of that. Then they leave that spongy stuff to ferment, and once it is fermented, then they plant the fungus in it, and that's what they eat. Oh, they so eat these the are fungus. the
2: famous ant gardens, where they're actually uh, making a garden.
3: That is correct.
2: They're absolutely great. Look, there's one lazy one He's getting a lift. Why is he sitting on the leaf being carried? See a baby one?
3: No, it's actually a soldier. <laughs> this... Some soldier getting a lift. Isn't it interesting? The soldiers are smaller than the, are than the workers, workers. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. And why is what work who's going to attack this ant carrying the leaf?
3: Well there's a, a family of flies called 40 D flies and these flies are parasitic. So they will attack um, ants that have a big head capsule. And they do have big heads.
2: Look, the head is the biggest part of them.
3: Yeah. And lay an egg in it. In their head? In the head. Yuck! And how will the soldier stop this? The soldiers have a very small head, so they're not, they not going to get attacked. And they can, because they're not uh, busy carrying anything, then they can attack the fly and scare it away. Oh, so
2: they're really on the lookout post. If they see any flies coming, they chase them away. It is absolutely fascinating. Everything in the rainforest has a place in the order of things. Nothing exists by itself. A case in point are the bromeliads, a family of plants that grow 40 feet up in the air on the branches of the big trees and look for all the world like the rosette of leaves on the tops of pineapples.
3: Yep. Uh, They look like a pineapple top because they are in the same family as pineapples. So these are pineapples that go in the trees. The fruit is not like pineapple at all. Most of them have flowers that are hummingbird pollinated. They have these very nice, colorful flowers, red, orange, or yellow. That attracts the hummingbirds.
2: This is like a little well, the water in the middle of it.
3: Yeah, and there's a lot of insects and there are animals that take advantage of that little uh, tank in the middle of the plant. They either find water to drink there or they find a place to live. Frogs, for example, some species will, uh, will lay the eggs inside that little tank where there's a little bit of water so that the eggs and tadpoles develop inside the plant. So these,
2: in fact, are the... Water storage tanks then for things like monkeys who need to drink water the same as we do. Correct. And they come to these things and they stick their faces
3: in and drink it. They either drink it or when it goes for a month without rain in this area, then what what they do is they pull the leaves out and shoe on the base of the leaf so they get some liquid, some water from there.
2: Like eating an artichoke. You pull out the leaf and you suck the bottom of it. God, how very swanky altogether. That's how they get through the dry season. Now, would the monkeys know where there are good bromeliads or do they just find them by accident as they move along?
3: Oh, no, they know where they are. They know that uh, in areas of secondary forest, there's more bromeliads than inside the primary forest where it's a little bit darker. So the
2: dry season, they're all in the pubs in the secondary forest. But this is not the dry season, this is the wet season, so where are the monkeys? <laughs> Try as we might, we couldn't find the monkeys, though Eric did assure us that we would hear them when the heavy rain started. But that didn't spoil our enjoyment. My husband, Johnny, and I were having the time of our lives. Well, did you ever think we'd see the day we'd be in the tropical rainforest?
5: No, I only read about it in school and... Uh... In the encyclopedias and, and, and saw television and stuff, but I never thought
4: I'd see the actual day we'd be actually inside in a rainforest. I
2: mean, it's absolutely incredible. Look at it. Trees going straight up to heaven, straight barks on them, yeah. going away out of sight. They must be 40, 50 metres high.
5: Exactly, yeah. There must be, what, three, three, four, five pounds there the size of our trees.
2: But look, at the interesting mm-hmm. thing is that every single space on the branches all the way down is covered in plants. It's a fierce competition for life here. If it was at home in Ireland... What we'd have would just be mosses. But here, there are absolutely other plants grown out of them. Things like leaves like laurel, things with leaves like ferns, hanging off the branches. And there's roots coming down. Look at those things yeah. like tires and goods. Well, they're right actually growing
1: there. in front of our eyes,
5: aren't they? They're, they're but what there. I'm amazed
2: about is that you can see right through. I can. We must be able to see 30 metres along mm. the ground in between the trees. There's very little growth on the ground it itself. It's be dark inside in the uh, rainforest, but no... Be, no, but there's not much jungle. I mean, if I wanted to walk through the woods, we're on the path here now, but if I wanted to walk away over there, yeah. I'd be able to do it. Okay, they've knocked down a few you things machete ma- you know. no, But you wouldn't need a huge machete. You could actually no, do No, you could it.
4: actually do it, yeah, you could indeed. It's, it's not that terribly different to, to the thickness of growth in our, our forests, is it?
2: Anyway, we better catch up on Eric. Right. Eric! Yes? What's that sound? How can I hear an
3: engine in the middle of the jungle? In the middle of the jungle? That's because we're close to a banana plantation, And the engine that we're hearing right now, it's an airplane spraying those banana plantations. What would they spray them with? Probably some kind of pesticide in order to control disease that the bananas get on their leaves.
2: And does that kind of spraying do any harm to the rainforest?
3: According to them, it doesn't. But who who knows?
2: If the wind is blowing in the wrong direction,
3: if the wind, yeah, the wind will carry that stuff into the river. That's for sure.
2: And those banana plantations were once rainforest too, were they? That's correct. They were clear for cattle first, and then for bananas. And why did they change from cattle to
3: bananas? Because cattle is not very good business in Costa Rica, not anymore. So, they, they turn the cattle ranch, uh, ranches into banana plantations.
2: Much of the land of Costa Rica that has been cleared of rainforest is now planted with bananas and coffee. Bananas bring in $80 million of foreign capital per year, while high quality Costa Rican coffee is worth $40 million. But according to a spokesperson from the Costa Rican Tourist Board, the big money comes from tourism, $1 billion annually.
5: Eco-tourism is one of the main products that Costa Rica sells around the world, so the tourism as a as a product in Costa Rica is the main product that we sell that is is most important than bananas most important than coffee and um, meats so they produce uh, one million twenty five people last 1999. that means nine hundred and eighty seven millions of dollars. That's why this is the main important product in Costa Rica. Like uh, 65 or 6% of people come in order to see or to look for nature. So
2: they see nature in national parks. Uh So what sort of nature do they see? What sort of forests do you
5: have? 25% of our land below protected areas. So we can see dry forests too. Uh, We can see mountain or pre-mountain forest, cloudy forest, rainforest, of course. So we can see all of that in our country.
2: Now, how can you make sure that the tourists who come, all these million tourists, Mm -hmm. are not doing damage to the rainforest? How can you make sure the hotels are not damaging by being there?
5: One important program in Costa Rica, is official policy from the Costa Rican Tourist Board, is certification of sustainable tourism. That give on a special seal that the hotels can promote around the world. That seal means that they fulfill with four different parameters of sustainable. That is uh, one is biological part, the second is socio economical part, infrastructure, and the uh, client. Of course, this is four different parts. If we check that they are doing for in this in right way maybe they are supporting our model or image of tourism.
2: And then do you have an overall plan for the country, a land use plan, a management plan, to keep Costa Rica from developing the wrong way?
5: Yeah, now we are working with Japanese government. So the agreement is trying to make a land use plan for two special areas in Costa Rica, uh, we are trying to make it uh, a sustainable way for the coastal areas, but not only for coastal, but also for the inland areas. Uh, try to make less impact in general for environment.
2: So it's great that so many rainforests are being opened to visiting tourists. However, you'd want to remember that it's not your back garden. Some of the species you encounter may not be as harmless
3: as they look. One well, of these things here, What are these, Eric... Oh, these are army ants. Be careful, because they bite. Mm. <laughs> it hurts quite a bit when they bite. There's thousands of them there. Thousands. And where are they going? They're going to look for food. Yeah. They move the nest uh, late in the day. Mm-hmm. But right now they're just looking for food.
4: And they're going in different directions. There's some going this way and some going that way. Along the same track, if you
3: know what I mean. Yep. Probably some of them already have food and they're taking it to the queen.
2: Threats from another dimension took me in search of a murderous tree.
3: Well, there's one very close.
2: Oh, yeah, there it is. That's the strangler fig, isn't it? Yes, this is it. Now, how does the strangler fig actually work? What it looks like to me here is an enormous tree with lots of different trunks and I can actually see from one side of the tree right through to the other.
3: Yeah, well, the thing is that the seed of a strangler fig, it's deposited up there by a bird, uh, up there on a branch. Of another it, tree completely? Yes, yeah. another tree. And then that seed germinates and starts growing as um, any epiphyte. But then it sends roots down the trunk, uh, down, down the host tree to, the, to ground. the ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm, like, like down to the ground, yeah, like tarasins.
2: Strings, like, so all these strings are coming down to the ground.
3: And then they get into the ground... And the canopy of the strangler fig grows taller and taller until it covers the canopy of the host tree. So they start competing for light, nutrients, and space. Eventually, that strangler fig wins over the host tree. So right here we can barely see the trunk of the host tree and it's... Completely, completely surrounded covered, by the roots.
2: Yeah. So the roots of actually, the roots is a strangler fig. They're a certain distance around, and the host tree inside is strangled to death. It can't grow any longer. That's right. And its leaves can't get any light because the other one is bullying it. That's correct. And then it begins to die. That's why we can see through it, That's in right. fact, because these are just roots. And they're enormous roots, aren't they? It's like the letter A. It's so wide
3: at the bottom. And these roots anastomose around the trunk of the host tree what do you mean, they fuse together.
2: They fuse together like a yes. solid
3: tree, yes. And become a trunk. So when the host tree dies and decomposes, then the strangler fig has a trunk of itself.
2: And how come every tree in the rainforest isn't covered by a strangler fig?
3: There's some trees that have ways to get rid of plants that are growing on them, there's trees that shed the bark. So whatever it's, for, it's growing on the bark of those trees will fall off. That's, that's one, one way. That's yeah. one way. Another way is that there's trees producing a, su- a sugar-like compound on the bark of the tree and there's animals that feed on that so they keep the trunk of the tree completely clean. There's some other trees that have association with ants and these ants are going to clip off any plant that starts growing on the trunk of the tree or branches of that tree.
2: So if they have a defense system they're okay and if they don't they could well be covered by a strangler pig. Yes, they could. All this growth, all this luxuriance doesn't come without a price. Life needs water and all this abundance needs rain. (laughs) Professor of Botany at Illinois State University, Joseph Armstrong, has spent a great deal of his life studying the dynamics of the rainforest. So the rain is easing off now, but boy, was that some rain. You never get rain like that in Ireland.
1: No, it's tropical rain, and uh, it's certainly not not the same as temperate rain. Coming straight down, uh, coming down in such torrents, arriving so suddenly, and then being surprisingly warm.
2: It's like as if God turned on an enormous shower because in Ireland when it starts to rain, oh, it starts to rain, run out and take in the clothes, there's time to do something. But here, you wouldn't get from here to the door before. The rain would be like down in bucketfuls. It's very, very sudden and no no um, announcement about it at
1: all. No, you can. It, it's true, it comes very, very fast. And uh, in the forest, though, you get an announcement because you can hear the sound of it moving through the forest before it gets to you. So you get a few minutes warning, two or three minutes warning in the forest, but out here at the edge of the forest, you don't hear it coming.
2: Where does it all come from anyway? Where is all this rain from?
1: Well, right right here on the uh, easterly coast or easterly side and the Atlantic slope of, of Costa Rica, the weather's moving off the Caribbean Sea. And so this time of year, uh, they're picking up a warmth and moisture from the Caribbean and It comes in as it rises over the central cordillera, uh, down comes the rain. And so we get this kind of wetter season uh, during this time of year because of the weather moving west.
2: And then it's not rain that I was of the opinion of, that it was warm in the morning, all the wet places in the forest evaporated, a huge big heap of cloud above the forest, and then in the afternoon the same rain came back down again. Does that not happen, too?
1: Oh, yes, yes, yes. In, in many seasons, that's exactly what happens. You get a daily cycle, almost, of the, of the water.
2: If you marked a, a raindrop, the same one would be going round and round.
1: Over and over again. The trees pick it up uh, from the soil. Uh, they move it up the trunks. Uh, they lose it through transpiration. The transpiration is what pulls the water up.
2: You, you get a uh, cloud
1: above, and then and then you, later in the day, as it cools down, it all comes. That's when you get the afternoon tropical storms, uh, and they're frequent here, and uh, but but not in this season.
2: We're getting it in from the sea at the moment. Oh yes. So this area of the tropical lowlands is where you're doing your studies now. How much tropical lowland rainforest is there in the world?
1: Uh, it's certainly uh, a terrifically threatened uh, ecosystem, and and of all of the ra- rainforest different kinds of tropical forests. the lowland rainforest has been destroyed uh, more than others because it's an area which uh, is used for agriculture. So
2: people can get at the lowlands perhaps sure. easier than going up the highlands and does it matter? What effect is it going to have on this planet if it's y- all gone?
1: You know, it, I, I really wish I could answer that question and give you the answer uh... but the the actual truth is no one biologist or no group of biologists or any other scientist knows the complete answer. We know what we're going to be losing. We we know we're going to be losing a lot of the rich biological heritage that we have on this planet. And so you can't make it. Species become extinct. Species are going to disappear. Species are becoming extinct. We're in the middle of the biggest extinction event in the history of life as we know it.
2: Even bigger than the one that killed the dinosaurs. Well,
1: that's what what some biologists think, that it's even bigger than that one. So
2: we lose species, but will losing the rainforests affect the climate as well? Is it affecting the climate?
1: I think that the consensus is that it certainly is, and that human activities of all sorts... Including rainforest destruction, are affecting the climate. And this could be a very, very serious problem because climate is a worldwide thing, not a local thing. So we can change weather patterns, we can change rainfall patterns, we can change temperature extremes in other parts of the world, parts of the world that are very, very important for agriculture. So in the
2: temperate regions in Ireland and Britain, this can be affected. What happens to the rainforests down here?
1: Well, just imagine if the Gulf Stream changes uh, its course just a little bit.
2: We would be as cold as Labrador, where it is six months' winter.
1: You're you're going to be uh, (laughs) in a much, much colder country.
2: And this could happen because the rainforests are gone, the areas of high pressure change, and then the winds are different, and the sea currents are flowing in different directions.
1: These are the problems that uh, could occur. No one can say what's going to happen. And, of
2: course, we'll only find out when we can't change it.
1: Oh, that's exactly right. I don't know of any biologist who's spent any time thinking about this issue who isn't concerned. These aren't pleasant things to contemplate, and yet it's still our job to, to think about these things. In
2: 1969, the government of Costa Rica realized that they would lose their rainforest if they didn't take decisive action. So they designated 25% of the land as rainforest reserve. But there needed to be a boundary between the rainforest and the agricultural land. So farmers in these regions relinquished their holdings under compulsory purchase orders. All very well, but the government plan was bigger than its purse and many of the farmers were not paid. Jose Trehouse is one such
3: farmer. So he says that the farm was worth 15 million colones at that time. And so it was a big... 90 hectares of land.
2: That was an enormous amount of money that yeah. it was worth. Yes. So he couldn't wait any longer, not being allowed to farm, and the government wasn't putting up the money... So he left, and the government still owned the money. So 18 years later, he is living here beside the National Park on how big of a farm has he got
3: here.
4: It's
3: a very small piece of land that he has here. He only owns... Two hectares and just a little bit over two hectares of land.
2: And the government also made a king's ransom, fifty or $60,000.
3: Yeah, and the, and the government you know, took his farm, There was 90 hectares.
2: Does he have any hope of ever getting it?
3: You usted cree que algún día le llegan a, a pagar algo? ¿O muy difícil?
4: No, por parte del gobierno no. Ya no, eso, ya lo que hicieron, hicieron ahí... No, he doesn't think he'll ever see the
3: money. Never.
2: This farmer wasn't the only one who hasn't been paid. As I found out when I paid a visit to Rafael Guideras, the marketing consultant with SINAC the Costa Rican Department of the Environment.
4: Uh, the government decided to buy the land for the farmers to uh, convert the, the, the land. It was um, a very hard work in terms of money, how uh, the quantity of money that we need at that time to establish new parks. Uh, and it's important to mention that Costa Rica has held from the international cooperation to establish the parks in different moments. And also uh, using uh, national treasure and our money, you know, to establish and to pay for the farmers in terms to change the land use.
2: So are all the farmers paid or are there still some money to pay?
4: No, not really. At this moment, uh, the government uh, has paying some lands of the national parks. and The government is still continuing the, the effort to pay all the farmers the, their lands.
2: So they, they are still paying the money. Yeah, it is not all paid yet. It
4: is, it's correct. Not yes. all paid.
2: And still they wait. It's all very well preserving the rainforest, but the people of Costa Rica themselves need to be educated about the global importance of what they have. I spoke to Carlos Drews at the National University.
0: There have been some changes over the past few years, and rainforest and conservation issues have become an essential part of the primary and secondary education. So children now, like my own children, are seeing words such as biodiversity, life zones, ecological webs, and things like that at the age of seven, which is quite interesting. And they are taken to places such as the Institute of Biodiversity to do some basic exercises uh, whereby they learn the basic concepts of conservation and diversity, the, me- the meaning of, of diversity also for human uh, development, the importance of the rainforest for their own sake and the sake of their grandchildren. So it has become really an issue that is implemented in children's minds meanwhile. And here in Costa Rica, there is a program in, northern, in the northern conservation area teaching biology to society in a way that makes them commit themselves to its conservation later on because they have a better understanding of it in the first place. So yes, I believe that these children will be very committed when they grow up.
2: This is the most amazing sound I have ever heard. The birds were fine in the morning. The rain was pounding at lunchtime. But this cacophony of sound at night is absolutely awe-inspiring. Are they all frogs, Eric?
3: There's frogs and insects that we're hearing right now. There's at least four different species of frogs that we're hearing. And they all belong to the tree frog family. They're called tree frogs. Because they normally live up in the canopy, way up there, 30, 35 meters above the forest floor. But right now, because this is the mating season, then they come down from the trees into these little swamps. And the males come, come down first, and then they start calling that attracts the females. Females come after them, and then they meet Right and do here. the
2: females call as
3: well, or is it just the males that call? Uh, in some species, both of them call, but in some other species, only the males call. There's a really loud one there, that big, deep sound. What frog is that? That is called Hyla Loquax. Now, that's the lighting name. I don't know the common name for it, but um, it's a very nice yellow frog, about two and a half inches to three inches long. And it's got some orange behind its legs. And that orange is the mechanism they use in order to escape predators.
2: Those insects, there's a whole big chorus of those. Indeed, they sound like a rattlesnake, but I suppose there's no rattlesnakes in this
3: country. There's no rattlesnakes in this area. We do have one rattlesnake in Costa Rica. But not here. So they are all the insects. These are all insects, yes.
2: And of course... There, I suppose, looking for mates too. This place is just one big orgy, isn't it? You bet. So, I realised my lifelong ambition to visit a rainforest, and it was all and more than I had ever imagined. Where else could you hear such wonderful sounds of nature, all interacting with each other, all with their own place in the order of things? It's unthinkable that one species, us, could destroy such a creation.
1: Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.
3: Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a
1: quote, find an agent at amfam.com.